Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of the Creator and His creation. If we look at some of the amazing details of the size of the sun, the size of the earth compared to the moon and the sun, and if you put it next to each other, I mean, and look at the vastness of God's creation, and you just have to go, what a mind blower. You certainly can't say it just exploded and we landed here. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. That's an understatement. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Psalm 8 has been described as a psalm for stargazers, but upon closer examination, we'll note it's also a psalm for soul searchers. In it, the psalmist David asks, What is one human being that you should remember him? What is a single mortal that you should care for her? He goes on to answer his own question in part by grasping how the Creator so values human beings that He called us to share in His creation by taking responsibility to care for it. But even more so, David acknowledges, as well, that God's ultimate love for man includes the precious gift of His Son. And that's where we pick up in today's Simple Truths verse-by-verse series of the Psalms. Let's listen. In Psalm 8, it's another Psalm of David on the instrument of Gath, which is believed to be a string instrument. This psalm begins and ends with the same words. It declares the majesty of God and the measure of man. And there's a sharp contrast. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, you who set your glory above the heavens. The excellency of the name of God. The two that are given to us here, one is his name, the other one is a title. The first one, Lord, all capital letters, is the word Yahweh or Jehovah. The covenant name. When he sent Moses, he says, I am that I am. It's a verb form. I am the becoming God. The becoming one. I will be to you whatever you want me to be. Whatever you need me to be. Whatever you allow me to be. And so it is his covenant name. It is the name that is always ascribed to his relationship to Israel. Through the covenant. The second one is Adonai. It means master. It's equivalent to the Greek Lord Kurios. In other words, he's master. He's control. He's the one who calls the shots. And here he praises them for the excellency of his name. These are only two. One's a name, one's a title. There are many other names that are given to God. But here the psalmist praises him for the excellency of his name. Notice that he declares that he sets his glory above the heavens. Psalm 19 declares that the heavens declare the glory of God, the creation. But here the psalmist says that he sets his glory above the heavens. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he knew a man years back and he was caught up to the third heaven, to paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, he did not know. But there he saw and heard things that were not lawful to be uttered. He's describing himself, probably when he was stoned at Lystra. And yet, God's glory is above the heavens that we see. We have the first heavens, where the birds fly. The second heaven, the stellar heaven, outer space. Then you have the third heaven, where God dwells. Way out there somewhere. 
And Paul was caught up to the third heaven, and there he saw things that were not lawful to be uttered. Now I am amazed at the amount of testimony that's given today by people who have died and gone to heaven and come back. When Paul says, I saw things there that were not lawful to be uttered, everybody is so eager to come back and tell about it. But Paul says, I can't even describe it to you. <laughs> Another big problem I have is that many of these people that say they died and they came back and they sense so much peace is that they're non-believers. And the scriptures declare when a believer dies, he's in torment, not in peace. So I have a big problem with those testimonies. Now, if a Christian says that he experienced peace and God allowed him to come back, I'll take it with a grain of salt, praise God, but I don't teach it for doctrine. Then we have to accept everybody's experience. Paul says, I, I can't even tell you what I saw. It's not lawful. It wouldn't even do justice. And so we need to mark that. His glory is above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have ordained strains because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. This scripture is quoted by Jesus in Matthew 21, 15 through 16. Interesting, the things that children say at times. They teach us as adults so often. They're so sensitive to God. In verse 3, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. Now, David was just out there in the pasture looking at the marvelous sky. We don't see too much of this because of the lights and all the pollution that we have. But if you ever get out somewhere like out in the desert where you can really see the sky and the stars at night and all that, and I mean, it's just amazing. And yet, he didn't have telescopes. He didn't have all this stuff. We, we have all this modern technology and instruments and everything. And as the scientists look and, and peer into the outer space, they are just in awe about it. They've only got one explanation, and that's God. They don't even consider evolution when they're looking into the, the skies. There's no way. And they know it. And yet if we look at some of the amazing details of the size of the sun, the, the amount of material that is burned up every second, the amount of heat it emits, the amount of, of time it would take for it to burn out, the size of the earth compared to the moon and the sun, and if you put it next to each other, I mean, it's just amazing. You do some of that study in terms of, of science and get into some of the encyclopedias and look at the vastness of God's creation and you just have to go, what a mind blower. <laughs> you certainly can't say it just exploded and we landed here. I mean, you've got to be some kind of an ignoramus to declare that. And I mean, it's just amazing. What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. Psalm 8 is really a psalm that really glorifies Jesus Christ. It's a twofold psalm declaring about man as he is saying here. I mean, man is insignificant. He's made of the dust. And yet God desires and he lays his heart towards man. Why? Because he created him. He loves man. And the psalmist here is just in awe of it. For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet. And so in the first fulfillment and application of this, it's speaking about Adam. God created him in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 28. He gave him dominion over the earth, the sheep, the animals, the garden. But secondarily wise, it's speaking about Jesus Christ. Because the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, through 9, describes this passage and quotes it to apply it to Jesus Christ. Where God took on the form of a servant, as Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 tells us, 
emptying himself. And he took on the form of a servant and he came to walk on this earth to die in our place. And so the second fulfillment here is Christ being crowned, the last Adam. He made him a little lower than the angels. God is first, then angels, then man. But he made Jesus Christ, his son, God, a little lower than the angels because he made him man to walk on this earth. And yet here the scripture declares that he gave him dominion over the works of his hand, first to Adam, but then his application is to Jesus Christ. But he put all things under his feet. Adam blew it. He forfeited everything over to Satan. He became the God of this world. And therefore the last Adam had to come to redeem not only man, but the earth. Romans chapter 8 tells us that clearly. But we do not see all things as of yet put under his feet. 1 Corinthians 15, 27 and 28 tells us. But one day we will. Jesus will return. He will set up the kingdom. And then all things will be put under his feet. The first thing he will do when he returns in Matthew 25, verse 31, is the judgment of the nations. He will separate the sheep from the goat. And the goats he will put on his left hand, and the sheep he will put on the right. Who are these people? Those who have survived the tribulation and great tribulation. We are not included in that. So when people try to lay a heavy trip on you in Matthew 25 for a lot of works trips, please ask them to tell you the context. That is the judgment of the nations when Jesus returns just before setting up the kingdom for a thousand years. And he says, Lord, when did we do all this? He says, you did this to the least of these, you did it unto me, my brethren. Its direct application is to the tribulation period. Yes, some will miraculously make it through the tribulation and great tribulation. I don't know how, but they will. And then those individuals will be allowed to enter the kingdom reign and to populate the earth. And if a child lives and dies at 100 years of age, people will say he died young. We will be in our glorified bodies. We will be ruling and reigning with Christ. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, he will be let loose. And he will be allowed to tempt those people who live through those thousand years. Not us. We are glorified. And so we need to understand that this psalm really uh, kind of goes hand in hand with Psalm 2 when Jesus returns to set up the kingdom. And so the psalmist here, first application to man, second application to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, he says, All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the seas. Interesting statement. You mean there are paths in the sea? Yep. It's known as the Coriolis effect. And since man has discovered it, and it was a Christian who discovered it. Read the Bible. It says if God says there's paths in the sea, there must be. And he started checking out the seas and putting bottles out and seeing the currents and all that. And he charted them all. And since then, the shipping industry and everything followed these currents in the oceans and saved billions of dollars in terms of damage, in terms of fuel and everything else. How interesting. <laughs> and people say the word is not inspired. God is way ahead of science, let me tell you. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. That's an understatement. Psalm 9. It's a psalm of David to the tune of the death of a son. Some believe that perhaps it is the death of the son of Bathsheba that was born through the adulterous relationship of David. It could be. Now, Psalm 9 and 10 
are believed to have been one psalm hooked together. There is no title to Psalm 10. There is to Psalm 9. But not only that, we find Psalm 9 and 10 written as one in the Greek Septuagint, which is a copy of the Old Testament Hebrew text, and we also find it in the Latin Vulgate of Jerome. So it's very possible. Though they stand in contrast, there is no problem. It does fit in a, a one unit. It's a psalm of thanksgiving for God's righteous rule. Verses 1 through 4 gives us praise. Verses 5 through 8 gives us judgment of nations that God does. Verses 9 through 10 tells us that the oppressed are cared for by God. He looks over them. Verse 11 through 12, you have a section of chorus there. And then verses 13 through 16, you have mercy of God and judgment of God. And then verses 17 through 20, you end up with confidence in God. And so he says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart, totally sold out, bringing his thought into captivity, bringing his every ounce of energy at the foot of God. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, Almost High. And so it speaks of a personal commitment. It speaks of a total uh, life endeavor to pursue God over and over and over again. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Interesting that God said he would wipe out the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all the different people, and he did. You don't hear of them today, do you? They're all blotted out. God's faithfulness in judging and wiping out, and yet even though God purged the land and the world, look how wicked and evil we have become. Look at some of the things that are just um, portrayed as art today. It's downright perversion. And they're going to see how far they can go because they don't want to be deprived of art, so they say. And so God's righteous judgment to blot them out. Verse 6, he says, O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. There are some civilizations that are not even remembered. We don't even know about them. But the Lord shall endure forever. Here's the contrast. They're gone. They're temporal. God is still around. He's eternal. He has prepared His throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the people in uprightness. And so, God's faithfulness in judgment over and over and over again. Verse 9. He says, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And so the Psalms speak very much of having our refuge in God. Like the coney, a type of the rabbit, who knowing his own weakness, runs to the rock and he takes protection within the rock. Sometimes animals are wiser than us. They know their own weakness and therefore they depend upon the protection that God has provided for them. And so we are to learn, even from that, that we are to run to the rock that's higher than us, that rock of refuge, which is Jesus Christ. 
Verse 11 it says, Sing praises to the Lord who dwell on Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. And so we're not only to remember that God fights on our behalf, but we are to declare the praises. We are to give witness to what God does to those around us. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble. Those who hate me, you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughters of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. And so the only reason that we ask that God intercede on our behalf and that God would work on our behalf is that we might have an opportunity to share with people what God has done. It is easy to forget to share what God has done. And we just take it for granted as if we really uh, are deserving of it or if God owes it to us. And as parents, that is a dangerous area where we can walk with God and God can do so many things for us and we forget to communicate to our children God's faithfulness. In the smallest of things, providing money, providing food, providing a job, giving wisdom. And we need to communicate that to our children so they grow up with a heritage of the Lord, lest they grow up and they have no witness of our own life. It's important. Verse 15, he says, The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid their own foot caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of its own hand, meditation. He says, think about this. <laughs> you will reap to what you sow. Here's that principle all over again. And, and it's interesting, he says that the Lord is known by the judgments he executes. Now you and I know a lot of judgments that the non-believer does not have any knowledge of. But isn't it interesting that all non-believers know about the judgment of Noah? The flood of the world? They may not believe it, they may not Accept it, they may deny it, but they know about it. They also know the judgment that came to Egypt by Pharaoh. They also know the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. They know of God's judgment. They are without excuse. Every one of those judgments was against sin. And every one of those judgments, there was warning after warning. Verse 17, he says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, Sheol. Remember the Old Testament, there was two compartments. The place of comfort, the place of pain and suffering. Luke 16 tells us that. After Jesus Christ, he scooped up those that were in the bosom of the Father, took them up to the third heaven paradise. Now there's only the place of waiting. But prior to the death and the resurrection of Christ, it was divided into two places, Sheol. In the Greek, it's the grave. Those waiting in faith, those who died apart from faith. And this is the reference to Sheol. And all the nations that forget God... Israel, the nation of God, what did he do? He sent them into captivity. He destroyed them. He scattered them. And so we need to realize how God stands against judgment. Nations who forget God. I mean, it's a mockery. Our, our coins say in God we trust. We don't trust in God. We don't even trust in, in, in the government we have. We trust in ourselves, in pleasure, in power. Verse 18 says, For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. <laughs> Nothing but dust. Nothing but dust. Psalm 10. 
is in contrast to nine. Again, it's believed that they are one. Verse nine spoke of God's righteous rule. Psalm 10 speaks of uh, a personal abandonment by God. The psalmist feels that he's left alone. And where is God at this time? I'm sure you've never felt like that, so you might not want to read the psalm. But um, I think I can identify with that. The psalm opens up with a complaint, but it's interesting that it finishes with confidence in God. He says, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? The first two verses we have is complaint. Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. As you look around the world, doesn't sometimes it seem like God is asleep? But we know he isn't. We see the injustices. Verses 3 through 6 gives us the character of the wicked. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not see God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. That's man today. He's got his computer, Dagon, and he bows before it. He's got his education. He's got his retirement. He's got his house on the hill. He's got all his security. And he's like that rich man who said, man, I, my barns aren't big enough. And God says, you fool, your soul will be required tonight. But his ways are nowhere to be found before God. Verse 7 through 11, his conduct. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages, the secret places he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. This is the tragic mistake of the non-believer because God is not quick to take judgment upon his life right then and there. He feels that God does not see. He sees everything. Verse 12, he cries out, Arise, O God. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, You will not require an account. See, the non-believer thinks he never has to give an account to anybody. Yes, he will. Every one of us will. But you have seen it, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king over forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare his heart. You will cause your ear to hear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed that man of the earth may oppress no more. He ends with confidence in God. He cries out for judgment. So we cry. We cry that God would bring judgment to those who would not repent. I think that is biblical. Not only Old Testament, but New Testament. But we cry for salvation that people would come to know Jesus Christ. We need to pray for those in our family, those of our friends, those who we know who are headed down this road of just perversion and self-pleasure and everything else and they're headed down eternity lost. 
And so may God give us a burden for them, compassion, and that we begin by praying for them. Pastor Xavier Reese draws another verse-by-verse study of the Psalms to a close today with some encouragement for us to spread the saving grace of the gospel. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request a copy of today's comforting study, Psalms chapter 6 through 10, available on CD for just $4. And by the way, this CD will also contain everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. The title to ask for once again is Psalms chapter 6 through 10. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths from the Book of Psalms right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 